Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. In today's scripture, Paul continues to answer the questions that the people in the Corinthian church had, and they had submitted to him. So, and they asked these questions because their culture was was consumed with sexuality and consumed with with different forms of that and and the church was wanting to know what is right and what is wrong and how are we supposed to react to it and i know that it doesn't seem like today right but actually it does it's like it's pulled right out of today's headlines where so many people and so many uh institutions have different opinions on what sexuality is, what spirituality is, and they all have their own opinions, but very few of them offer one that comes from God's Word. So Paul reaffirms God's design for our relationships, and he gives some practical advice on how we should live. Now, just kind of a side note before we jump into this, uh, he talks a lot about marriage, and he also talks a lot about the fact that if you can be single and be happy with that, then then great. So many people might wonder, well, why would Paul say that? Was he never married? Was Paul married? I don't know if you've ever had that question. And, and I'd like to tell you that the Bible doesn't give a definite answer about whether he was married or not married. But we do know, and we will read later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 5, where he says, Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as the apostles or as the Lord's brothers do, or as Peter does? So we don't know for sure, but it may be if Paul was married at one time, his wife likely passed away, considering he never mentions her in any of his writings. So Paul declared that he had the gift of celibacy, but this does not necessarily mean that he was never married. So, with that said, let's jump right in to our scriptures. And the first thing we see is that we need to be faithful to God's calling. We need to be in the world that we live in today that is so fractured when it comes to spirituality and sexuality. And even churches are struggling to define what they think it ought to be, even though God's Word is very clear. What we see here is that these church members in Corinth, they were living in the land of if only. Have you ever, have you ever lived in the land of if only? You see, many believers fall into the trap of living into the land of if only. Sometimes you think, well, if only I was married, I could do this for God. Or if only I was not married, I could do this for God. This type of thinking results in spending our days never fully committing to what the Lord has for us because it's almost like we're waiting for something to happen. So in the scripture, we see Christians at the church of Corinth, they're trying to do their best to honor the Lord by their outward appearances and by their actions, the things that they do that make them think that they are being more godly and that they could be more spiritual and cater to their spiritual side rather than their sexual side. But they were going to make drastic changes But they didn't fully think it through. They didn't think about the consequences. They were thinking right in the moment. Many of them were wanting an all or nothing from Paul. They wanted Paul to say, okay, forget with this, maybe and sort of do what's good for you. You tell us exactly what we need to do. Make it a law. 
strike it down. Tell us exactly what we need to do. And, and they were frustrated because Paul wasn't going to do that. And I'm telling you, he's not going to do that for you and I today either. They were wanting that all or nothing command. They were talking about abstinence. In other words, they were saying the, the, the place in Corinth was so depraved and, and everybody was acting so crazy when it came to spirituality and sexuality. They said, well, we're just going to, to quit the club, so to speak. We're just going to, we're going to practice abstinence. We're going to practice, um, celibacy. Even the married families were saying that. I'm going to tell you that doesn't work. And so Paul is not telling them, hey, that's a great idea, let's do it. They wanted him to, but he didn't. Let's look and see what he says. Verse 17, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. They were trying so hard to become what Paul wanted by making these drastic changes. And Paul is saying, no, you don't have to be this way or that way to serve the Lord. You need to be like you are right now. Paul was writing to say that people should be Christians where they are. You can do God's work and you can demonstrate your faith anywhere in the strength of your relationship statuses, not apart from it. You don't have to say, well, look, I'm a Christian now, so now you say to your spouse, we cannot have intimacy anymore because I'm a Christian. That would be a good way to bust up your marriage. Or you, you, you can't say that because I'm single, I'm more spiritual because that's not a problem for me and somebody else might have that problem. Whether your relationship and status is married, single, divorced, widowed, or remarried, whatever state that you are in, God can use you and work in your life regardless of the world, what the world tells you about what you should be as far as your sexuality and spirituality. Don't put off being true to God's calling on your life until your status changes. Serve Him. Where you are. You don't need a spouse to be faithful to God. You don't need to be single to be faithful to God. You just need to be faithful to God where you are. Paul continued by giving them some real life examples. Verse 18. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandment. So this was a hot topic for Paul to address, especially in the church at Corinth, where so many people were, they had Jewish backgrounds. They were God-chosen people. You see, under the Old Testament law before Jesus Circumcision was something that all Jewish males would have done to be considered a believer. And whether at birth or later in life, if you were going to please God as a male, you must be circumcised. If you don't know what that means, Google it. But after Christ's death, circumcision was no longer necessary. Because of what Christ has done. It wasn't about what you did to your body that made you holy. It's about what you do with your body, with your heart, and with your mind. Paul would go to task 
with many who still believed. You see, back then there were some that believed, okay, you can believe in Christ, but you still had to go through with the circumcision process. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. And so, again, this was the people of Corinth trying to, to, to center on, this is a step I can take, a physical step that I can take, that I can control. You know what you call that? You know what you call it when, when you set up traditions and you set up doctrines and beliefs that are based on your ability to understand it and to keep it or reject it? That's called religion. And that's going to send more people to hell than anything else in the world. There are some people that are more steeped in the things that they do and the traditions that they have rather than like Paul is saying, look, it doesn't matter if the, what, what you wear in church. It doesn't matter if you play cards or watch moving pictures, as they used to say back in the day. It doesn't matter if you dance. Baptists call it creative movement, right? It doesn't matter if you do all these things that we heard growing up that you weren't supposed to do. Those things are questionable, but the main thing is the state of your heart. Paul would go to task with many who still believe that way. Paul was saying that being circumcised or uncircumcised is irrelevant. When it comes to serving God, so is your current material state, or material, your current marital state. There were Christians there that thought, well, I'm single. I can't do everything God wants for me until I get a spouse. Or there were some people that were married that were saying, you know what? I could really do something for God if I didn't have this baggage with me. How spiritual is that? That's focusing on yourself. That's focusing on what you need. And and that is not God's will for your life, nor your relationships. Again, verse 20, remain where God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, now you are free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. This is a pretty amazing passage here because we see here that unfortunately slavery was common throughout the entire Roman Empire. And so the church was experiencing something that was happening nowhere else in Corinth. And what was that? They would assemble together and instead of having different classes of people set apart, you would have in the same room, you would have people that were well off, but you would have slaves. You would have free people. It was a a melting pot of everything that was in the community. And that's what church should be. That's what our church should be. We should not be all white. We should not be all black or all Latino. We should be a representation of our community. And that's the beauty of the church. That's what makes it beautiful is that when we are together, we see a fuller picture of God because we are all made what? In the image of God. This And here's the thing, for the community back in the day, that was a radical idea. You mean you can have all these different people from social classes together in one place? They hadn't heard that before. And it's still pretty radical in these days, where everybody wants to be separated by what they think is right, what they think is wrong. To have people come to a place like this that have all different 
kind of backgrounds, all different kind of um, society status, all different kinds of wealth. We're here together worshiping the Lord. And it says in Galatians 3.28, I put it on the screen for you. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. This is what Paul is saying. You are all one in Christ. So Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, telling them about what he's seen here and saying, look, it's no longer slave, free, rich, poor, white, black. We are all one in Christ. But becoming or being a Christian does not always change your circumstances. But it does change the way you see them. I think that there is a a danger when you think that when you become saved that you're going to hear you're going to hear angels singing and all of a sudden you're going to be teleported out of whatever terrible situation you're in and be uh, dropped somewhere else that is where flowers and sunbeams and, and all the, the Coke Zero and moon pies you want, right? We think that's, sometimes we think it's going to be, but it's not the case. Many times people are saved and they know that they are different. God has transformed them, but they still go back to the same house. They still go back to the same job. They still go back to the same marriage. They still go back to the same single status. But the thing is, is that your environment may not have changed, but the way you see it has. Once a person experiences salvation based on trusting in God, their relationships and outlooks fall under His authority. Every situation you are in right now in this moment can offer you an opportunity to honor God, to serve Him, and to speak out for Christ, regardless of what Facebook says your relationship status is. Because God has placed you where you are, take every opportunity to serve Him there. Maybe what He's saying here is that don't continue to wait just for the big things, but just be faithful where you are. And then we see, see your God-given sexuality and spirituality as tools to get through tough times. As tools to get through tough times. Look at verses 25 through 28. He says in verse 25, Now regarding your question about the young women who were not married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in His mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. I want to to make a side note here that there are people that will look at this verse and where he says, I do not have a command from the Lord. They're going to say, uh-huh, I told you, I told you the Bible is filled with errors. The Lord didn't say that. Paul is just winging it. But still, folks, although Paul, Jesus did not specifically address this one question that the church submitted to Paul Paul is using the greater teachings and giving them an answer based on all of what God is, or Jesus has said and Jesus has taught. And it is inspired by God. It was written and written by Paul, inspired by God. It is the inspired word of God. So whoever tells you that this is a mistake or this shows that there are errors in the Bible is full of malarkey and that's Greek for malarkey, right? It is the inspired word of God. Verse 26 says, because of this crisis, or some translations say, because of these pressures in life, I think it's best that you remain as you are. If you, in other words, he's saying, look, folks, 
You're, you're emphasizing on the wrong things. You're so worried about being single or married or make sure that you're making these drastic changes. He's saying, whoa, slow your roll just a minute. He says, verse 27, if you have a wife, don't seek to end your marriage. If you do not have a wife, don't seek to be married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. It's okay to get married. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time, they will have troubles, and I am trying to spare you those problems. We don't know what it is, but apparently there was some type of, of whether it be persecution or trouble or socioeconomic problems, but something was going on in the city of Corinth. And Paul says that there is a definite advantage to remain single. But also because of this distress, a married man should also remain married. I hope you hear what he's saying here. He's saying, look, it, the bottom line is, is not your, your relationship status. Even right now, today, some of you in here are consumed with your relationship status. Some of you could care less. But the the great thing is, is that your relationship status does not define you. It does not depend. God blessing you and putting you in a place to be used by Him is not based on your relationship status. Many of you are widowed. Many of you are married. Many of you have been married. Some of you have been remarried and remarried again. Some of you are dating. Some of you are single and have no desire to have anything to do with that. And the great thing is, is Paul is saying, that's good. Serve God like you are. I remember back when, way back, uh, before I met Donna, and I remember that uh, when I was a younger guy in college and stuff, I thought, man, I... I no, not early college, high school, because I met Donna in college. Got to make sure I get my timeline there right. But I, for some reason, I said, "Oh, well, you know, I'm a I'm a freshman in, in in college. I need to start looking for a wife, right?" No, we weren't thinking that. But I mean, I can't. I, at least back in my day, I can't think of any boy or any girl that didn't say, "Oh Lord, please just get me married before you come back. <laughs> Let me know what it's like to be married." And that's just the way God wired me, but there are some of you that said, God, please don't make me get married. Or, please don't make me get married again. I don't want to deal with that. And again, the good thing is, is that God knows what we need. And the point I was going to make is, is that I tried hard to find love. And what I found out was, when I finally said I was done with love, and I was going to make the Lord my, my main priority, that's when she walked in the door. And my friends, if you are, are focused on your relationship with others over your relationship with God, you may very well never find who God has for you because you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Paul talks about, he instructs us to view our sexuality and spirituality and relationships through the lens of eternity. Now, this is going to be interesting. Verse 29, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time remains is very short. Again, another side note in inerrancy. Some people will say, uh-huh, I told you, preacher. I told you, there's another error right there. Paul said that the time is short, but brother, it's been 2,000 years. How short is short? But the truth of the matter is, 
He didn't say it in the context people take it in as that. Many are critical of Paul for writing this because they take, they say that Paul writes out this. It's been over 2,000 years and we'll steer, we'll steer. We are still here, so it must be a joke. Paul is not speaking of a literal timeline here. Let me ask you something. If I were to say, folks, we need to be vigilant about our walk with the Lord. We need to be vigilant about our families and our relationships. We need to make sure that those that we love know the Lord because Jesus could come at any time. You wouldn't, I mean, that's a pretty fair statement, right? That's pretty much what Paul is saying in this context. He's saying, look, we need to live every day as if it is our last. All of us have a time appointed that we will meet Jesus. And so when Paul is saying the time remains very short for him, in that moment, it would be no different than me getting up here and preaching and you saying, you know what, he could come back any moment. That every breath in our lungs is a gift from God. The same kind of thing. So it's not an errancy. Matthew 24, 44, Jesus himself said, you must always be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. No one has promised our next breath. We need to live every day, folks, as if it's our last. Hug those we love. Don't leave things unsaid and serve the Lord today without putting it off for tomorrow. So we jump back to the scripture, second half of 29. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use these things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will pass away. What is he saying here? It's going to be pretty clear here in a minute. He says, verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. So what Paul is saying here, again, Paul is saying, look, if you can be single, great. But if you're not single or don't want to be single and you want to be married, that's great. But understand, with that comes responsibilities. I remember when I was single and I wasn't married yet and I had a checkbook and I had a balance. I could keep track of it. And I thought, hey, I'm pretty well off. And then I got married and I realized the two became one. And then I found out that insurance, what do we need to pay that for? Taxes? Who's this FICA and how can I get it back? And all of a sudden, all the money I thought I had was going to other places. Other places that were valuable. And and I am, I am sure that we have families in here today. Husbands and wives with children. That your 
your engine in your car never gets time to cool because you're always going somewhere. You're going to a ball practice. You're going to a recital. You're going to a parent event. You're going out to eat with your family. You're doing your things. It's just go, 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 go. So yes, it is harder. Let's say if there are, there comes times where there is persecution. Someone who is single will have less leverage against them than someone who is married. Because if you're a married and someone wants to take advantage of you, they'll say, okay, we're going to go after your wife. We're going to go after your kids. We're going to go after your grandkids. So again, he's not, he's not disparaging marriage. But he's also saying if you're single, there's benefits of that too. But here is where he is going. Paul is not concerned with those who are married. He is encouraging what should be obvious. There is something wrong when a husband does not care for the needs of his wife. And there is something wrong if a wife does not care about how she pleases her husband. For example, Adam was so consumed with his calling to serve God in the garden until Eve came along. Likewise, every Christian single should make the most of the freedom his or her status gives them until God brings them a mate. Because he likely will. He may not. But if that's in the cards for you and that's something you desire, something you've, you pray for and something you need, God will do that in his time and in his way. But there are some people that, just like those that are, are married, think that, that being married may be a distraction from serving the Lord. What do I mean by that? Let's say God calls a man into the ministry and he tells his family, hey, I'm going to go in the ministry. And the wife and the children say, we didn't sign up for that. Or, hey, I want to go be a missionary. Well, we didn't sign up for that. You can go, but we're staying here. That could happen. That, that may happen. A lot of times the family would say, yeah, we'll go. But yeah, there's, there's more things. Like when they would tell students that were in college going to seminary, look, go to seminary before you're married and before you have children because there's a lot less to deal with. But some people, they want to deal with that and that's fine. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying finding romantic love is important, but not at the expense of pleasing God. Your marital status should strengthen your spirituality. Paul is not saying to neglect your family and your relationships in light of Jesus' return. Paul is saying to not make them an idol by placing their importance above Jesus. Now, I'm going to meddle for a second here, and I apologize, but this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, there is a place in our heart that is reserved for God. He is to be, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, the Ten Commandments say that there are no idols other before God other than Him. It's Him and Him alone. And the trap for good Christians like you and I is to place our children and our spouses and our families and our relationships on the throne of our lives that is meant for God. God doesn't always use bad things to distract us. Look, if you are too busy for God because of the stuff that you're doing with your family is a part of that, then you as a leader and as a a couple and as a family need to decide how to rearrange that because what's going to happen? I see it all the time. You see families that they 
they make the kids the center of their life for years and then they get old enough to understand what's going on and the husband and the wife are looking at each other as strangers because there's no longer ball practices to go to. There's no longer parent-teacher association things to go to. They're no longer in the youth group. They're no longer, it's just, it's just them and they say, I don't know this person. Because they have spent their entire life Focus on the kids and not God. And it, look, it's not wrong to treasure your kids. But what is it? what happens when all of a sudden you look at the other one and they're strangers and you say, well, okay, I don't love them anymore. They're, they're old enough to understand, so let's just part our ways. It happens every day. And I'm not, look, you can be a great parent. And I'm not saying that you have to be at the church every time the doors are open. But what factor does God make in your life? Better yet, what do the children see in mom and dad? Do they see Christ as the main thing in the entire family? Or do they see them as something they do on one hour on Sunday? Because it makes a difference. And so again, Paul is not saying that these things are bad, but what he's saying is, is if we place, if I place my love and affection for Donna above God, I am giving her second best love. Why is that? We need to serve the Lord without distractions. Since God was the first one to choose you, to set you apart and to love you, you must love God first, even more than you love your spouse. You must worship Him first. Why is that? Why should we love God first? Because a very simple thing. God is love. If you want to know what true unconditional love is, 1 John 4.16 says, We know how much God loved us, and we put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who love live in God, and God lives in them. To properly love your spouse, to properly love your family, to properly love yourself. God must come first. That's what Paul is saying. And then verse 36, but if a man thinks he's treating his fiance improperly, I like the way the new King James Version says, if she has passed the flower of youth. Isn't that a beautiful way to say that? The, 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 the literal translation would be, if she's getting too old and will inevitably give into his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin, but if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passions, he does not, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiance does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. Again, we see Paul is not against the marriage. He's saying, do whatever will enhance your relationship with God. Some translations make that sound like that the question was something like, well, I've got a daughter I need to marry off. Is it okay to marry her? That's one translation or one view of it. And the other one is literally the the fiance wanting to know if he should still marry his his fiance, who is, you know, she's up in years, and if we don't do this now, it's probably not going to happen kind of thing. And Paul's saying, yeah, sure. If you need to get married, get married. 
If you don't need to get married, don't get married. I'm not going to make an absolute rule for you on this. Do what God has called you to do. As we look at our last two verses, God calls us to place our spirituality above our sexuality. And that is so in opposition to what we see today. What we see today is your sexuality becomes first and foremost. You have a right to do this. You have a right to do that. Everything is off limits. I Look, I understand. It has been placed on a pedestal. The prophets of Baal are laughing in, in joy as they see the way the church has responded to this and the way our world is responding to this. He says in verse 39, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But only if he loves the Lord. Again, he's saying, look, if you want to get remarried, it will be better for you to find somebody who is a believer that will strengthen your faith. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. I know there are many widows in our church and and. We joke with them every now and then about, hey, you need a man or all that kind of stuff like that. And they will tell you real quick, I don't need a man. I don't want a man. And the only man I loved is gone and I will see him again. I don't want anything. Look, that's fine. Aren't you glad Paul didn't say you had to get remarried? (laughs) We'd have a lot of unhappy widows here. But isn't it good when I think of My wife's mother, she got remarried. I'm glad he didn't say you can't get remarried. You see, he's not saying if this, then that. He's saying serve God where you are. Do whatever will take to enhance your walk with him, whether it be as a single or whether it be married. It's not spirituality and sexuality apart from each other. One builds the other. The phrase means a believer must be a fellow believer. And many people talk about finding their soulmate, but more important, God wants you to find your spirit mate. Someone that you are in step with. Look, emotions are important in any relationship. But the problem about living with emotions and by emotions is they play on our feelings. I feel this. I feel that. When's the last time your feelings led you into a ditch? It happens, doesn't it? Because people say, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's why Proverbs says, above all things else, the heart is evil. We got to be careful when we follow our hearts apart from God's word. Placing God first in our relationships play into our commitment to him. A man or a woman committed to God will be committed to one another in loving times and during the test because the test will come. To wrap this up, God loves you and has placed his calling on your life. Every one of you in here have got God's calling upon your life. Don't be the one that needs another to complete it. You are made in the image of God. God loves you. And has a plan for your life. And he knows your heart. Whether you are married or single. Fulfill the calling he has placed upon you. You loved. Your loved ones need it. 
Your church needs it. This world needs it. Let God use you where you are today in whatever your relationship status is. Your relationship status does not define you. Your love for God does. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time today. Thank you so much for the refreshing truth that is found in your word. And the Lord, as as we walk through this, we don't know where people are at in their relationships and the way they view them, but I know this, you do, and your spirit is here. So whatever has been spoken from your Holy Spirit, through your word, Lord, may it marinate in their lives. May it be encouraging to them. May it enable them to take a step of faith. But Lord, if there's someone here that just needs prayer today, if there is someone here today that would like to know for sure that you are their Savior, and they can come forward today and pray to receive you as their Savior today, to know that true love. Maybe someone just wants to come to the altar and pray. Maybe join the church and be baptized, Lord. Whatever the invitation is and the decision is, may you get the glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.